0: Yeah, can we give it up for Hannah and Winton? So thankful for them. It's been a fun three weeks. I hope you are enjoying that. I hope that was fun. Um, Angel, sorry about you, bro. I mean, after all you do in our church, you know, you think we could give you something, you know? Something a little bit better than that, but I'm sorry, dude. Anyway, well, welcome. We're glad you're here. I'm (laughs) a... I'm kind of thrown off a little bit, so we need to pray because uh, I forgot my iPad today. Somebody, come on, preach somebody. So welcome. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning. And if you may remember, if you were here last week, we were in Luke chapter 7 as well. But we're going to be towards the end of the chapter. And... Um, The beginning of the chapter, you may remember, it was about the centurion, how he had a great deal of faith in the authority of Jesus and the positioning of Jesus. And, And when you have faith in Jesus for who Jesus is, it changes your circumstance. How many of you know that? How many you know that? How many you can attest to that? How many you believe that? Maybe you're a guest with us this morning. You're still checking out this faith thing, checking out who Jesus is. We just we want to welcome you to this space and hopefully I really hope and pray that you feel comfortable enough in here to explore with us today. And so um, in Luke chapter seven, we're gonna read in just a moment verse 36. But I, I wanted to um, just touch on a couple of things as we're in this series, The Real Deal. How many of you know, how many of you love authenticity? How many of you know you gotta be true to yourself and true to others? Anybody else remember that? Come on. That's what we gotta do, right? So, one way that we say that at Luminous is be honest with yourself and be honest with others. That's one of our values at Luminous. Be honest with yourself and be honest with your others. And we use the word honesty versus authenticity or authentic because honesty demands truth and authenticity demands your own worldview, whatever is authentic for you. You know, I mean, how many of you ever bought some Folklies before, you know, and you said they, they said they were authentic, you know, but were they being honest? No, they were not being honest. So So honesty actually demands a response of truth in your life. And could you have an honest assessment, an honest evaluation of of where you are in life and what God's doing in your life and how you've been treating others and uh, your work ethic and what God's called you to? And, And do you have a circle or a connect group around you who is telling you and challenging you to be honest with each other? It's great to be honest with one another. Uh, I'm just going to tell you this right now. No one is fully self-aware. You know, I mean, it's like, it's like the kid who gets picked last at dodgeball every time, and he thinks he's the best athlete in the world. How many you know that that guy's a little disillusioned, isn't he? And I'm just going to tell you this. I'm going to petition this to you. In life, no one is fully self-aware. The only way that you can be self-aware is to have others around you to see you how you really are. And we know that to be true. So honesty is important. The real deal is about honesty. It's It's about the honesty of Jesus and who he is and our response to Jesus and what he has done. And so I'm going to tell you that he is and we do. And that's kind of how it's played out. In 2011, we, we got, um, my wife and I got the call to come plant the church in San Antonio. I want to give you a little backstory. Maybe you haven't gone through our Plugged In class yet, but soon you're going to go through our Plugged In class. Really believe in that for your life. So, so in Plugged In 101, we teach about the history of Luminous Church. And there's a story about Austin No, He's sitting up here. Just had knee surgery. Um, But he's amazing. He's one of our campus ministers. He's our campus director at UTSA. And he came as a student to start a Bible study and start an Every Nation campus ministry. He just felt called by God to come here, to go to university, start a Bible study, start reaching people with the gospel. So he and Matt Eckerd and a few other people, Eckerd, a few other people uh, started knocking on doors in the dorms and started inviting people out. And they started seeing people come to know Jesus. Jesus, and all of a sudden their group would grow to 40 students, and they respond to the gospel, and they're doing the purple book in the big old uh, pavilion there, what's that thing called, yeah, that's it, and it's right there, and, and that's, that's where they were doing it, and it was amazing, I, I, I told my wife in 2008 when we first got married, Is hey, babe, we're supposed to go plant a church one day because we're in every nation. We plant churches, world missions. Uh, You know, that's what we do. It's what's in me. I came from Midland. Midland planted nine churches founded by Russ Austin. He actually planted nine churches out of that. And and I just, it was in me. I I had to go plant a church. I, I was so excited about this. And so I go, babe, what if we, what if. You know, because I like the what-if game. Anybody like the what-if game? Those who don't like it are like my wife. She hates that game. And, um, you know, just dream a little. Just open up. I love when we go on date night. I'm all over the place right now, but just bear with me because we're coming back. But I love when we go on date night, and I go, babe, can you just dream a little? Like, just just dream. Just let's, this, this night is just dream night. And she goes, okay, I'll try. You know, <laughs> She really tries. And uh, the whole time she's looking at me wide-eyed like, you're nuts. And it's true. It's true. Dreamers are nuts. But, you know, enough, enough about that. So we, we're dreaming. We're praying. We're believing. And and in 2008, I said, babe, what if we went to Scotland where only 2% of people are churched? On a weekly basis, because it's such a post-Christian communion. I believe that what God has put in us, you know, the fire of God, the, the everything that we have, we can go and win some for Jesus. And she looked at me like I was crazy. She go, I'm not going to eat fish and chips, but I'm going to have chips and salsa. And the only place we're moving is San Antonio, Texas. <laughs> and Dream killer. So in 2011, as Austin starting this Bible study and getting going and making it happen and winning people for the gospel, I get a call from our regional director of campus ministries, Every Nation Campus Ministry, Peter Dusan. And he calls me and goes, hey, we have this student who has faith, who's believing God for the campus, who's reaching people with the gospel, doing a Bible study, and we need to plant a church next to him. Have you and your wife ever considered planting a church in San Antonio? I go, Whoa. is this my wife? Did my wife set you up? Did my wife tell you that? I go, actually, yes, we have. And so we go through the whole process, and every nation has a whole process to plant churches. They do a, an assessment where you and your wife go, get assessed, make sure you're healthy, make sure you love Jesus and love each other and do all those things, and then you do a boot camp, and then you have coaching and consulting and all this stuff, you know, just to help churches grow, help them flourish, help them get off the ground. And they looked at her and go, what's the one obstacle to keep you from planting a church tomorrow? And my wife responds, immediately debt debt we were in F, we went through FPU did the financial courses which will offer this summer we did all that stuff but she said the one obstacle the one thing that's keeping me from going tomorrow is debt and at this time it was it was at this time I think at that time we had about $25,000 worth of debt still paid off $75,000 and we we're believing God for it. we're going after it and, and and it came it came about Four or five months before we planted here in San Antonio, we still had about $13,000 worth of debt. And I would never forget this moment. We walk into our house, and, and when we walk in there, we walk in our bedroom, and on our queen sized bed, there was a note that says, Jesus loves you, and there was $10,000. We did the happy dance. You know, he may do the happy dance. Like, my happy dance is like all white, you know? It's like, <laughs> sorry. It's bad. So I did the white happy dance, and it was bad, and nobody saw it except me and her and now y'all. And, and we were so excited because that eliminated the rest of our debt. It paid off every dollar of the rest of the things that we owed. And we said, okay, now, God, we can go. Now, God, we can go. And, and, and how many of you know if you got $10,000 cash on your bed, you'd be doing a happy dance, too? You'd be doing, it, you'd be doing it, I mean, the white happy dance, you know? You just... uh, anyway, all right. crazy luke chapter 7 let's read some word this morning a great debt forgiven definitely requires a happy dance and we're going to see that luke seven thirty six. when one of the pharisees invited jesus to have dinner with him he went to the pharisee's house and reclined at the table a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that jesus was eating at the pharisee's house so she came with An alabaster jar of perfume. And she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two people owe money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We're talking about the real deal, and the real deal is Jesus. But we want to let you know today that the real deal takes risks. Number one, if you're, if you're writing note, the real deal takes risk. I'm just going to tell you right now that this woman was a sinner. She could have been a prostitute. She was definitely outcast, and she had no business being in the pastor's house. She had no business being in the worship leader's house. She had no reason being where these Pharisees and Sadducees were. She had no business being around them. And yet she finds herself in there because she wanted to take a risk. Because she knew that that Jesus was worth it. And I have to get around this man. I have to get around this person. And in order to do that, it's going to take risk. Now I want to tell you today that some of you took a risk coming to Luminous Church today, didn't you? Some of you have been taking a risk coming in this place. You saw us on Yelp or Google or word of mouth or wherever you heard about us. And you came into this place and you didn't know what you thought when you pulled up to a big old shopping center that had a bunch of bars and, and different places. And you were like, well, what is this place? This is kind of weird. You pull up to the parking lot. You see two flights of stairs. You're wearing your stilettos. You're like, how am I going to get up there? I don't know. You you find out about the elevator after you get up, that's always disheartening, right? Like, seriously, because there was an elevator right there. You came up here, somebody's waving from the door 200 feet away, and you're walking up, and they're still waving, and you kind of do the high, but they're still waving, and usually it's me, and I'm like, hey, welcome to church, we love you, and all you want to do is turn around, but if you run, your stilettos may trip down the stairs, and you may fall, he took a risk on us. You came in here, you're a guest, and all you've been in that place at some point in this place. You've been a guest here at some, play, at some point in time, and it was a risk. It was a risk to come in. But I'm going to tell you that Jesus will always, always meet you where an ob- obedient risk is taking place. Let me say that again because I'm too hyper. Uh, Jesus is always going to meet you when you take an obedient risk. As you step out obediently, as you obey the voice of God in your life, as he's called you to do something that seems ridiculous, maybe, maybe it seems ridiculous, he's calling you to take a risk. I'm so thankful because in this facility, we've had many people from different ethnic backgrounds take a risk on us. We've had different socioeconomical classes take a risk on us. We've had different age demographics take a risk on us. I love talking to somebody over 40 because they look around and they're like, Man, there's a lot of young people. And yet you still come back because you're like, I'm going to take a risk because I'm being obedient because I believe that God has something there for me. And I need to be there to sit at Jesus' feet. God has called you here. He's going to use that risk. He's going to just watch what he does with that. This woman in verse 37 She was a sinful woman, a sinful life, and she learned where Jesus was. And when you learn about where Jesus is and Jesus has affected you, you go find him. You go find him. You go find where he has affected you the most. You go find him. And and that's what we do. And some of us, in our lostness, in our wondering, we go back to the first time when we saw Jesus. Maybe you were in a place where you strayed away, where you moved too far. And and, and you remember, last time I remember where Jesus was, was at the church. And that's why I'm here this morning. Maybe that's why that's going to help you invite somebody to come participate in this. Because they're looking for Jesus. And you go, you know what? I know where Jesus is. He's in this place. you got to come. Now, we know that Jesus isn't just in proximity, but he's ever-present. We know that. But this woman knows that Jesus is right here, and she steps into the door. And as she stood behind him, she, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured out perfume on them. I don't know if she did it perfectly, I don't know if she did it, how she imagined in her mind when she would go in. Isn't that so funny? It's like you, you, you're you going into a place to see Jesus and you're trying to do it all perfectly. Make a first impression at Luminous Church. Make a first impression wherever God has called you to. And you don't do it perfectly. You stumble over the words like the pastor's been stumbling this morning. You do all those things, right? And, and, and yet, yet you just go because you know it's so worth it. And, and God's not calling you to be perfect. He's just calling you to be willing. God wants a willing people, a people to come in. And then the real deal invokes this worship. This worship moment that she's having with Jesus. Now, you got to think that, that Jesus is reclining at the table. Now, a lot of us in our Western culture, we think about our, you know, our 20-seat dining room table, you know, that we fit in our two-bedroom apartment, you know, with our chairs. And, and we're just kicking back, and we're imagining this girl is underneath the table. That's so weird. But this is actually how it was, is Jesus laying there on the floor. And he's, he's sitting there, and he's just making himself comfortable with Simon, not Simon Peter, don't be confused with Simon Peter. Simon the Pharisee, he's laying there, and this was customary in the living room or whatever, to lay there and lean on one elbow and, and begin to eat and have a conversation. And as he's having a conversation with people, he's he not even uh, acknowledging this woman who's who's touching his feet, who's wetting his feet. Now, now this is important to know because this, it, this begins to paint the picture of how, how this woman was invoked to worship. You see, this woman wasn't sitting at the table and She wasn't crying a couple of tears and wiping them off and saying, oh, Jesus, let me wipe these off. You know, that wouldn't be wet. That would be damp. And nobody wants damp feet. Come on, somebody. Get ready for summer. No, no, wet feet, wet feet. So she actually was leaned over his feet. Right here in a moment of posture and worship. And she was leaned over and out of her eyeballs was coming tears that were drenching his feet. And she was wiping them with her hair. Her hair was down. Down hair meant like maybe it was a time of mourning. Maybe she was mourning. Maybe she was in this sad moment of realizing that Jesus was going to have to pay for her sins. Was going to have to pay for that price. Maybe she was in mourning because she felt outcasted because she was a sinner. But her hair was down and she's wiping his feet and she's worshiping jesus at the feet of jesus you know what's crazy is that seemed absurd to the pharisee but it shouldn't have because all over the old testament we see people kneeling down with their head low worshiping God I mean in 2nd Chronicles 7 when the temple was being built and completed by Solomon you may remember this for generations God said I'm going to build a temple and my presence is going to come in and it's going to fill that house and that's where people will find me that's where people will see me And, and for generations you telling your kids about it they're telling their kids about it and for generations, this promise was there. And when God's presence showed up, and when the cloud of glory filled the temple, what did everybody do? They got on their knees, face down, worshiping God. Worshiping God, for they were not worthy. Second Chronicles 7-3, when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavements. And worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his steadfastness, love endures forever, that God is worthy. Now, how many of you know if we start invoking that kind of worship at Luminous Church, some people may be weirded out, right? Some people may be a little strange, like our Western liturgy and the way that we do church, our liturgical church, just doesn't necessarily have a bunch of feet or heads on the pavement or heads on the carpet. But there's been many, many denominations and religions that have set this up, and and we see it as mundane, but it should be out of reverence when it's kneel, stand, kneel, stand. Why are you kneeling? Because you're kneeling out of the reverence and awe of God. And this woman knew that. She knew it. And Nehemiah, as I was reading this, and we're going to start our Nehemiah series real soon because it's an awesome book. It's awesome. Verse 6, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered after he read the Mosaic law. He read who God was. He read the commandments. He read God's faithfulness to, to the people they said, amen, amen, let it be done, let it be done. Yes, yes, lifting up their hands, lifting up their hands in praise. And and then they bowed down their heads and worshiped the Lord with the faces to the ground. Father, I am not worthy. I'm not worthy, but you are. You know, our outward expression is, is mirroring an inner work. Now, we have it oftentimes around, right, where we don't feel like going to work, but we have to go to work. You know, you ever feel like that? Like, well, I'm not going to work today, but you still got to go because we got bills to pay, right? So you have, you have maybe the other way around, but when it comes to God and worship, your outward devotion and expression will definitely be a reflection of what he's done in your hearts can't help but worship like that and this woman could not help kneeling at jesus's feet and worshiping him bill johnson said this he says if you long for me like i long for you you will be satisfied If you long for me like I've longed for you, how I've loved you, how I've sought you, how I seek you, how I didn't give up on you. If you long for me the way that I long for you, there will be no lack in your life. And we came today because some of us may lack. Maybe anxiety, maybe depression, maybe frustration, maybe inadequacy. Maybe feeling unknown or unworthy. So we lack. But Jesus is saying, if you just long for me the way I long for you, you will be satisfied. The real deal is for sinners. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner people oftentimes question jesus's authenticity like was he the genuine deal was he the perfect diamond was there any flaw in him Often questioned it and they recognized him as a teacher, didn't they? They they're a good teacher, and there was a recognition there. But Jesus came as a prophet. And and what's crazy about this is Simon the Pharisee didn't even recognize Jesus as a prophet. And other religions. That are not Christian recognize Jesus as a prophet. And yet we don't have Simon doing that. He is questioning his authority. How many of you know, like if we remember from last week, the centurion recognized Jesus' authority and was blessed? If you question Jesus' authority, you may not be getting what God has for you. They they question his authenticity. Constantly want Jesus perform for them. it it, it was it was jesus was a puppet to a lot of these pharisees they they want to see him do things they 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 saw one miracle but okay let me see another oh let me see another oh oh that wasn't enough let me see another and what does jesus say is is you can see miracles and you can see all these things but you still may not believe You still may not believe, and and they're questioning his authenticity all the way up to the cross when they mocked him and said, if you're the son of God, then get down from there. If you are the son of God, remember that? Get down from there. If you are a prophet, surely you would know who's washing your feet. I love Jesus, man, because he's going to want to punch this guy. (laughs) It's going to be awesome. The thing is that we have to remember when you think Jesus doesn't know, He knows. He knows. He knows the hair on your head. He knows your name. He knows exactly what season you're in. He knows what's in your bank account and what's not in your bank account. He knows. Jesus knows your struggle. He knows knows your pain. He knows the Father who's been praying for his sons and his daughters for safety and protection. He knows. Jesus knows all. He knows everything that's happening, and he's working behind the scenes. He's constantly working behind the scenes. I I was thinking on the start, I only want to see Jesus heal when I know about it, but what about when I don't know about it? How many times has Jesus sustained you from some ailment or disease that he's healed in your body that you didn't even know about? That he just took away, that he protected you from by his hand. He is amazing. He knows where you are. So Jesus, in verse 40, answered Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. I wonder what this conversation was like. I mean, for me if I was Jesus, man, I'll be I'll be well, I'm not. So <laughs> Praise God. So he goes on to tell him this parable that we read about in verse 41. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. None of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. Forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards a woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came in your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss me since I entered into this place. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured out her perfume on my feet. The real deal forgives debts, small or large. Small or large, he's forgiven debts. For the person who grew up in the church like I did, and I gave my life to Jesus when I was five years old, got baptized at seven years old, it took me a long time to remember and to realize how much God loved me. You see, I, I took advantage of grace. I took advantage of the circumstance. I, I, to me, Jesus was, I believed in him, but, you know, he, we were just sidekicks, and sometimes I would walk with him, sometimes I wouldn't. Sometimes I'd spend time with him, sometimes I wouldn't. But but he loved me and he forgave me when I was five years old and he wiped it all clean. He forgave the debt that I couldn't know, right? 50 denarii that I could not pay back. He forgave a debt, a chasm that I could not pay back. He did that. He's amazing. But but when somebody like my wife who gets saved when she's 23 years old and she's forgiven, when 500 denarii are wiped out... All of a sudden, your devotion and your reaction is a lot different, isn't it? It's a lot different. It's, oh my gosh, Jesus, you're amazing. I just want to sit at your feet. I got faith. When I don't have faith because of my debt was forgiven, although it was small and it was too big for me, but I didn't recognize the weight and the gravity and the heaviness, and I doubt some situation in my life, then my wife goes, have faith, believe. I'm like, man, how do you do that? Like, you just have faith because I had a debt that was enormous. And I remember when he wiped it out, and it changed me. It changed me. I just believe. I was like, I want that. I want that. I want that kind of faith. And I have to move back and reposition myself and read this story in such a way that it's so relevant that it did happen remember this woman the real deal will write love on your heart who write love on your heart therefore i tell you verse 47 her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much but he who is forgiven little loves little and he said to her your sins are forgiven The real deal, it will forgive sins. It will forgive the wages of sin because the wages of sin, as Romans talks about, is death. And only death, if you sin against a holy God, there is complete separation from him. There is no way that somebody who's in debt can earn their way back. There is no way. They earned death. They earned, their their wage was death. And there's no way you can earn it back. There's, it's impossible. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church. It doesn't matter how many times you kneel. It doesn't even matter if you're down here on your knees, wetting Jesus' feet with your tears. See, we misread it sometimes, don't we? We misread it. We read it as though she was wetting, her t- wetting his feet. Well, then she's loved and forgiven. But the truth is, she was wetting his feet because she was already loved and forgiven. She was already loved and forgiven, and that's what brought her devotion. He who Is forgiven little, loves little. He is forgiven much, loves much. She was already forgiven, and her devotion was love. In Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. While we transgress, Christ died for us. And as we close out Colossians 2.13, I want to remind us of this. And when you, when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him nailed your debt on the cross and paid for it with his blood. Innocent blood. An eternal bank account for our indebtedness. He paid the price that you and I couldn't pay. Lived a life that you and I could not live. So that when we came to Jesus' feet, it meant something. It means something. That our worship to the Father now has gravity. Do you realize that as sons and daughters adopted into the kingdom for those who believe in Jesus, now it has weights. Because you have access to the Father. And he has his ear towards you. Ask anything in my name, I will do it. Come to me, those who are heavy burdened, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He's saying, come to me, I've given you access. Your worship means something. For this woman, because she was forgiven... Because she placed her faith and trust in Jesus, that worship meant something. Would you stand with me this morning? I'd love, the, I'd love to pray for you. No one can truly perceive how precious Christ is and the glory of the gospel except the brokenhearted. A broken and contrite heart given to the father that allows him to move allows him to show up and allows him to pay the price aren't you thankful i'm thankful let's pray if you have never placed your faith in jesus Never trust him with the forgiveness of sins. Then ask. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that he is who he says he is. If you want to follow him today and you never place faith in him, I just encourage you to raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you this morning. Thank you. For those who maybe haven't felt the gravity of the debt forgiven, whether it was little or big, would we feel that for a moment? Not to stay there, but to be invoked. To move in such a way, to worship out of gratitude. If that's you and you need to feel that weight today, not to put a yoke back on you, so that your eyes would be open to the chasm that was bridged. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you. I think for everybody in here, God, who just needs to hear from you, who needs to hear your voice and how much you love them, that Lord, maybe they were like me when they were five, they get their life, but they haven't been living it because they haven't felt the weight. I pray, Jesus, that you would put that weight for a moment but then you would bring grace and forgiveness and love and that you would remind them of what you did for them and that they are worth it, that they are enough. They're enough in you. And would they leave this place knowing their sins are forgiven? Jesus, come. Bless your church today. God, thank you for your grace, your abundant grace. You are the real deal. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.